Welcome to Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. Sharon has a passion for scripture that will motivate and challenge you to immerse yourself in God's word and apply his message to your everyday life. Visit SeekingTruth.net to learn more about bringing Seeking Truth to your parish or to become an online learner. Today, it's part one of the second book of Samuel, chapters five through eight, and now Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. Today's theme is you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. David wrote this. Uh, The Lord gave him this verse in Psalm 110. Let's see what we're looking at today. 2 Samuel 5. David is anointed the king of all of Israel. So when all the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron, okay, he's the king over little Judah right now. Judah's one tribe, his tribe. Now all the tribes of Israel have come and they say to David, behold, we are your bone and flesh. Hmm. They were just in civil war. They've been fighting ever since we started in August, right? They've been fighting each other. And now they're saying they're all one. Behold, David, we are your flesh and bone. Where did we hear that phrase in the Bible? Way back in Genesis, when God pulled Eve from Adam's side and God gave Eve to Adam, and Adam said, this is last, this is last, is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. All the tribes of Israel have come to David at Hebron and said, behold, we are bone and flesh, we're yours. So from Adam to David, last week from Eden to Zion, we're going to Zion today, to Jerusalem, another name for Zion, Adam to David. Behold, we are your bone and your flesh. This is an absolute foreshadowing of what? We are part of your mystical body, bone of your bone, flesh of your flesh. Behold, we are yours, David. All the 12 tribes of Israel are going to be united into one unified body under David's headship. David's going to be the head over the 12 tribes who are the flesh and bone body. Does that sound familiar? Foreshadowing, Christ is the head. All believers are his body, his flesh and bone body, the heavenly church, the priesthood of Jesus Christ, the eternal high priest, the body of Christ, and many local churches. Also, Paul tells us Christ is the head of the church, which is his body. And also you individually are a member of the body of Christ. You are filled with his Holy Spirit and you become a temple. So David is the head of his 12 tribes of Israel, the body, a foreshadowing of Christ and his mystical body. It's a type of Adam, a type of Christ. David is a king of a nation now, all the Israelites. Jesus is the king of an eternal kingdom, all people for all time. The covenants keep growing and growing and growing in scope. We are part of his mystical body. So in the times past, when Saul was king over us, they said, it was you, David. Oh, really? All that time they fought. Now they're saying, it was you. It was you, David. You let us, you let us out and brought us in Israel. And the Lord said to you, you shall be shepherd over my people, Israel. You, David, shall be the prince over Israel. So they're recalling David, the shepherd boy, like so many of the shepherds before him. David's beautiful Psalm 23, not just shepherding sheep now but shepherding all the people of the nation of Israel, not just fighting one giant enemy when he's a little boy, but now protecting Israel from all her many foes, never losing touch with Torah, always following the word of God and obeying it, 
God's revelation to Israel was Torah. He never lost touch with that. He's been talking to God. He's been listening to God and not just hearing God, but also obeying God and trusting God's word. David's shown us that all along and always keeping God in his Ark of the Covenant, God's true presence on earth, first and foremost, in his own mind, in his own family's heart, in his heart, and now for all Israel's heart. So all the elders of Israel came to David at Hebron. They made David, a co- they wanted to make a covenant, and they anointed him king over all Israel. Now, this will be his third anointing. We saw him anointed by Samuel when he was a little boy. We saw him anointed when he became the tribe over Judah last week. And now he's anointed a third time to be the king of all Israel. Three is always the divine number. It's the number of the Trinity. Three, three anointings. And it tells us that David was 30 years old when he began to reign. 30. Okay, that's pretty good, pretty mature. In Numbers 4, that is the exact age that a Levitical priest had to be, 30. They could not, they had to be from the house of Levi, and they had to be 30 years old before they could become a priest, and they could be a priest from the age of 30 up to 50 years old, 30, 40, 50, for 30 years. And it's the prime years of their life, from 30 to 50. Boy, those were the good years, weren't they? David's 30. The priests in Numbers, they had to be 30. They could serve until they were 50, so those prime years, and they would work taking care of that ark and all the things that went with it, the tent of the meeting. The most important job was when they had to move the holy things, the most holy things, like the ark was the most holiest thing on the face of the earth. And we're told when the camp was set out, Aaron and his sons would go and take that, the veil of the screen, the cover of the ark of the testimony with it, and they would put a covering of goatskin over the ark, and then they would spread a beautiful cloth of all blue, that's very expensive fabric, they would put that over and carry it only on poles. This was the way God prescribed that the ark must be transported. So 30 years old, you had to be a Levite, and 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 you would use the poles through the rings that just as God prescribed and put the covering over it. You had to be a legitimate Levite to do this. That means the genealogical records were kept very, very scrupulously for the house of Levi. And they had distrust of one whose mother had been captured in war and, and says, hey, I'm a Levite. Well, we, we need to see your mother's records. So if she was captured in war, I mean, they wouldn't take any chances on it not being a Levite. David was 30 years old when he began to reign. And we're going to see that David is a priest king. And this is really important. David's not a Levite. How can he be a priest? Well, He's a Judahite, but he, the Lord, is going to want him to be a priest king. So he's 30 years old, first clue. He's going to reign for 40 years. That's another important biblical number. At Hebron, he reigned over Judah seven years and six months, seven and a half years. And then at Jerusalem, he reigned over all Israel and all Judah for another 30 years three years. They're very, they want us to know that. Numbers mean something. The divine number twice, 33, 33. How old was Jesus when he started a priestly, kingly ministry? Ah, the only one that tells us is Luke. That's right. Luke tells us that he began his ministry when he was 30 years of age. That's a priestly age. Jesus had a three-year-plus ministry, about three and a half years on earth in that ministerial position. Jesus died at what age? 33, the divine number twice, three, three, Trinity, Trinity. How long was Jesus a king? 33 years on earth, forever, from Alpha to Omega. There is no time with God. But at the moment of his human conception, at the 
incarnation, he was a king. Because in Luke 1, we, we see that the angel Gabriel tells Mary, he's going to be great. He's going to be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, the kingly throne of David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom will have no end, just like you said, forever. And the wise men from the east saw the star in the sky, and they came all the way to Jerusalem. And they said to Herod, where's the king? It is a baby. Where's the king? We've come to worship. We've seen his star. And 33 years later, Pontius Pilate, his first question will be to him, are you the king? Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus says, you say I'm a king? And Pilate believed it because he had the sign above the crucifix written in Hebrew, in Latin, and in Greece, the king of the Jews. Everyone was mad. Why did you write that, Pilate? You've got to change that. And Pilate said, what I have written, I have written. So from incarnation to death on earth, he was looked at as a king for 33 years. How about a priest? He did priestly things like heal people and anoint people and forgive sin. And he would multiply bread and bless it and break it, multiply it and share it. And he tells us, he tells the soon-to-be new priesthood of his apostles on Holy Thursday, the institution of the priesthood of Jesus Christ, which is in the line of Melchizedek. He breaks the bread. That's going to be his own body, blessed, bread, broken, multiplied, shared from a priesthood. And Jesus said that his blood, the chalice he's holding, will be a new covenant in my blood for the life of the entire world. So David reigned over Judah seven years, six months. At Jerusalem, he reigns 33 years. Like David, Jesus, the son of David, will also be a priest king. Jesus was not a Levite. Jesus was a Judahite like David. But both of them will be 33 years on earth, the king. And the king and his men went to Jerusalem against the Jebusites, the inhabitants of the land. Now, who are the Jebusites? Because David, the holy city, the city of David is going to be Jerusalem, the city on a hill, the best strategical city in all Israel, because it's the highest geographical point and you can see the enemies coming. It's a fantastic city. Kidron Valley, the valleys around it, the mountains, it's, it's perfect to defend. But someone's there already, and it's the Jebusites. The Jebusites were inhabiting Jerusalem at the time of David. Now, anytime I need to know who's who, I go to Genesis 10 in the Table of Nations to see who are these people. Well, you remember the sons of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, right? Which son is cursed? That's right. Why is Ham cursed? Ham uncovered his father's nakedness. You're very good students. And we know from Leviticus 20.11, that explains that the man who lies with his father's wife has uncovered his father's nakedness. It's a Hebrew idiom for maternal incest. While Noah was passed out drunk, Ham makes a power play uncovering his father's nakedness and lying with his own mother, Noah's wife. Now, Jacob lost the blessing for that. I'm going back. When I want to see which 12 of the tribes get blessed and what it means, I go to Genesis 49. Jacob's oldest son, Reuben, lost the blessing for making a power play with one of Jacob's wives, Bilhah. And he'll, he'll lose the blessing. He was the oldest son. He should have had it. But he loses it. Ham is doing the same thing, making a power play with Noah's wife, his own mother. It's going to cost him dearly. So that son, conceived by that illicit union, is going to be cursed by grandfather Noah. His name was Canaan. And that's in the Hebrew root, it means to be low humble, or depressed. Noah woke up from the wine. He knew what his youngest son had done to him, and he said, Cursed be Cana, a slave of slaves shall he be to his brothers. Now, which son of Noah's got the blessing? Yes, Noah blessed 
And Noah said, Blessed be the Lord God of Shem, and Cana shall be his servant. God shall enlarge Japheth, and he shall dwell in the tents of Shem, and Cana shall be his servant. So remember in Genesis when we would do blessing, blessing, who has the blessing, and we were following this blessing, and you have to keep it straight because it's really important. Okay, Shem has the blessing of Noah and the blessing of God, the right-hand blessing of the Father. That's important. What does the word Shem mean in the Hebrew? It belongs to the name, capital N, Shem. It belongs to the name, capital N. That's important. Remember that. Okay, so in the table of nations in Genesis 10, there will be 70 descendants from Noah. And it's not really important that you know all these numbers. What's really important is let's follow the line of Ham. So Noah has these three sons, Japheth, Ham, and Shem. Ham's line, you see his son is Cana. And under Cana are the Jebusites under the cursed son. And they are in Jerusalem right now, and David wants that city. Shem, on the other hand, the son who has the blessing, look who comes from his line, Abraham. Hmm, it's an important line. He has the blessing. Shem has the blessing, and Abraham's going to be in his bloodline. Okay, so the Jebusites are in Ham's line under cursed Canaan. And these, okay, here's a map. You see Japheth's, Shem's, and Ham. These are the lands that they settle. Ham, that little box with the red arrow, that's Canaan's territory. And that's right where Jerusalem is. And all these people that came from Cana, you can read, you know, all of these, the Amorites, the Pezzarites, the Hivites, the Hit, you know, all those guys, the Girgashites and the Jebusites. So the Jebusites are Canaan's people from the line of Ham. And they are there <laughs> inhabiting Jerusalem at the time of David. Now, according to the table of nations, the Jebusites descend from Noah's son Ham through his own son Cana, who had been cursed for maternal incest and cursed by Noah. Okay, that's important. Just put that in the back of your mind. What God had said to Moses in Deuteronomy is that they had to utterly destroy the Hittites, the Amorites, the Canaanites. Those are Cain's people. The Canaanites and the Pezzarites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. That's what the Lord God has commanded because of their abominable practices, especially child sacrifice. They would offer children to the gods. Now, some other words you're going to hear for the Holy Land. Sometimes you hear it called the Holy Land or the land flowing with milk and honey or Cana. It's called Canaan because it's Canaan's land originally. Shalom or Shalom, Salem, Salem, Jerusalem, Zion, the city of David or the city of peace. Well, someone very, very important used to live here. Guess who I am? Guess who I am? Can you guess my name? We'll give you a clue or two at the Guess Who I Am game. Do you remember that? Okay, it's right from Hebrews 7. He was king of Salem. He was king of Salem, the priest of the Most High God. He met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings, and he blessed Abraham. The greater always blesses the lesser in the Bible, always. Abraham apportioned a tenth of everything he had to him. He, at first, by translation of his name, the first translation of his name is King of Righteousness. And then he is also King of Salem. That is King of Shalom or King of Peace. He is without father or mother or genealogy and has never beginning of days nor end of life. He resembles the Son of God. He continues a priest forever. But this man who has, this is all coming right from Hebrews 7, by the way, this man who has not his genealogy received tithes from Abraham and blessed Abraham who had the promises. It is not beyond dispute that the inferior Abraham would be blessed by the superior, this guy, 
guess who I am? You can shout it, guys. Melchizedek. Here, tithes are received by mortal men, there by one of whom it is testified that he lives. One might say that Levi himself, who receives tithes, paid tithes through Abraham, for Levi was still in the loins of his ancestor Abraham when Melchizedek met him. The first priesthood in the Bible is the priesthood of Melchizedek. It's the superior priesthood. Later, the Levites will come along, and we'll have to have another priesthood called a Levitical priesthood, a lesser priesthood, a more temporary priesthood. The etymology of the word Melchizedek, it's a Canaanite word because it came from that Canaanite region, where it was Cain's land. My king is God, or my God, my king is righteousness. That's what it means in Hebrew. And Salem, of which he is said to be the king, is very likely Jerusalem. Now, this is important. God had a priesthood in his logos. In his mind's eye from before the beginning of time, God had a priesthood in his mind. And Hebrews 6.20 tells us that Jesus had gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. And in the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to whom who was able to save him from death. And he was heard for his godly fear. Although he was a son of God, he, Jesus, learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. So, for 33 years, Jesus departed from the right hand of the Father to take on human creature flesh, our bone, our flesh, for 33 years to intercede on our behalf so the Father would open up the gates of heaven for us. The Father waits with the Spirit. I love this painting. The Father has a crown with with the leaves in his hands, the olive leaves. The Father waits with the Spirit for 33 years while the etern- with this eternal crown of Jesus in his hand, ready to crown Jesus when he's perfectly obedient to the will of the Father and everything the Father asks. Jesus came down for 33 years and was king of the earth. And this is the crown he got. This is what we human creatures gave him for doing this, crown of thorns. But then he'll be crowned king of heaven, and he will take his place again at the Father's right hand. His mother, Mary, who had a part in this, a big part with her fiat, she'll be crowned the queen of heaven and of earth when she's assumed body and soul back into heaven to sit at the right hand of Jesus. Now, a millennium, 1,000 years before Jesus came, David's going to enter the city of Jerusalem. Guess who named the city Jerusalem? According to the Midrash, the name Jerusalem is a combination of two names united by God. The first name is Yaira, or Jaira, some people say Yaira. The second and the Yaira part of it, Abraham named. It's the abiding place, the name given by Abraham to the place where he planned to sacrifice his son. Mount Moriah, it's in Jerusalem. It's, it's right by Calvary where Jesus died. He named it Yaira. Isaac said, my father, Abraham said, what son? And Isaac said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, God will provide. In Hebrew, that's Jehovah Jaira. God will provide. God will provide himself a lamb, a burnt offering, my son. God will provide. Jehovah, God, Jaira will provide. So, the, the first part of the name Jerusalem, Abraham named, Jaira, God will provide. The second part of the name, Shalom, Shalom, that was named by Shem, place of peace. 
Now, remember who Shem was? Shem's the one son of Noah that has that blessing. Not Ham, but Shem. And the Hebrew Midrash says that Shalom means place of peace. The name was given by high priest Shem. And this was way before a Levitical priesthood. Hmm. Now, St. Jerome, who said ignorance of Scripture is ignorance of Christ, he translated the Greek Bible into Latin, the Vulgate. And in his notes, in his margin, in the commentary, he said of Shem, could Melchizedek be Shem? Hmm. That's what St. Jerome wrote in the margin. Could Melchizedek be Shem? Well, I found this in the ancient Targums from in Aramaic. It was written originally in Aramaic, Jesus's language. It identifies Melchizedek as Shem, son of Noah. Shem was one of the links in the chain who transmitted the godly traditions that originated with Adam after the flood. He's going to keep the traditions of Adam alive. It's Noah's son with the blessing. These traditions were carefully handed down from generation to generation, and Shem, who headed an academy, was a key conductor of these teachings. This is what the Jewish writings tell us. The Midrash tells us that Shem was so perfect and so spiritually advanced that he was born circumcised. This is before Abraham. They say Shem was so holy and so spiritually advanced that he was born. He came out of his mother's womb circumcised. Interesting. Genesis 11 tells us that Shem was 100 years old at the birth of his son, and that was two years after the flood, and that he lived another 500 years, meaning that Shem was at least 600 years old at his death. 600 years old, and he has the blessing. Perhaps Melchizedek and Shem are one and the same, because remember what Shem means? The son of righteousness. Now, Shem was the son of Noah. And remember, Noah was the only righteous man on the face of the earth that God could find. And so God didn't wipe out the whole entire creation because he found Noah, one righteous man. And this is the son of one righteous man who has the blessing, son of righteousness. That's the title for Melchizedek. That's what Melchizedek means, son of righteousness, king of righteousness. God could find no one worthy, no one righteous except Noah and his family. So, this word, Jerusalem, I just want you to know the etymology of that word because it's important. God will provide a place of peace. Jerusalem, Abraham and Shem together. This is the location that God would stop Abraham from killing Isaac and God would provide a ram. Jehovah Jireh, God will provide. Abraham could bless Isaac, give him the right-hand blessing of the Father, and all the world will be blessed through this one. God promised children descendants as numerous as the stars through Isaac. So this place of testing was transformed into a place of peace. Jehovah Jireh, God will provide a place of peace. Now, when did Abraham get that blessing to pass on to Isaac? He got it when he was blessed by Melchizedek in Genesis 14. And Melchizedek brought what? Bread and wine. He's a priest. And the math works out that Shem, who lived 600 years of age, would still be alive. Stay with me. It's crazy. Steve heard me screaming a lot this week up in the office where I was writing squeals of delight. David is going to offer cakes of bread and raisins at the same location to the people when he comes in to Jerusalem. That's a priestly thing to do. It's bread and wine. Uh, it's not wine. It's fruit of the vine and work of human hands. Does that sound familiar? Melchizedek, maybe Shem, blessed Abraham in that on that same mountain range of Jerusalem because that's where Melchizedek lived. He's the king of Salem and the king of righteousness. You are a priest forever in the line of Melchizedek. David's going to take this city for Israel's united kingdom 
it will be given yet another name, the city of David. He will be a priest king. And in his prayer in Psalm 110, David is inspired to write, because all scripture is inspired word of God and useful. He is inspired to write, the Lord has sworn and he will not change his mind. David, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. It's the only time in the Old Testament this word comes up again, except for Genesis 14. Then we hear it in Hebrews 7 in the New Testament when people are putting the puzzle pieces together. And it's a really mysterious good puzzle. So all these guys that came before David, Adam, Seth, Noah, Shem, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, there wasn't a Levitical priesthood yet. But all these guys practiced some type of priesthood because they made altars, they offered sacrifice to the Lord, they built, you know. So they're in that Melchizedekian line of priesthood. Then we had the Moses and the Levites came. But God is telling David, you are a priest in the order of Melchizedek, David. You're not a Levite. You're from the house of Judah. But I want you to be my priest and my king, and you're in the order of Melchizedek. David stripped down to a priestly ephod that day. He offered sacrifice to the Lord that's priestly. He danced unabashedly in worship and thanksgiving. And David was Israel's new king and priest. And the Lord tells him, and the Lord will not change his mind. The Lord will not repent. You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Dead King Saul's daughter, Michal, was absolutely disgusted with David in his linen ephod that day. And that will cost her from ever bearing a child with the king of Israel or anyone else. God will seal her womb shut, no life from her womb. Michal's womb was sealed shut by the Lord that very day, which also was a protection for David because David would father no sons from the tragic line of King Saul because that was her father. There had to be a way for David to become a priest since he was not from tribe Levi, but from tribe Judah. And God told him, you're a priest forever in the line of Melchizedek. It's a very interesting puzzle piece that's missing. And a lot of people don't study it because they have no idea what it is. But we have priests, Catholic priests, and a valid priesthood in the order of Melchizedek, the priesthood of Jesus Christ. You are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. Jesus himself is in the same line. He's from tribe Judah. He's a son of David, and he is a priest forever in this line. Now, so this is a messianic psalm. It has an immediate fulfillment, and it will have a future fulfillment. In Jesus Christ. They had to go all the way back to Genesis 14 and the son of righteousness, which is the code word for Shem or Melchizedek. Now we have a feast day in our Roman Catholic Church. It's called the, the Feast of Our Lord Jesus Christ, the Eternal High Priest. It's a movable feast day. And so some dioceses have it, some don't. It's on the first Thursday after Pentecost. And I want you to look at this holy card. You see Jesus is the Eternal High Priest. He's standing on the altar. But at the bottom, the first priesthood is Melchizedek. The second priesthood is Aaron and the Levitical priesthood priesthood. Jesus Christ stands on the altar in the line of Melchizedek, the superior priesthood. And Christ's kingdom is eternal, but it's going to start on earth. He's come on earth to bring a kingdom, the church. And that church has to have a valid government. It has to have a valid priesthood to govern it. Always. The second priesthood, remember when Aaron, the rod of Aaron in number 17, the house of Levi, had sprouted this rod that sprouted blossoms and ripe almonds, and Moses brought all the rods in front of them, and each man took his own rod, and Aaron's rod had budded, and that was a sign from the Lord that Aaron, in the Levitical priesthood, would have the authority. The rod's important. The authority of the priesthood is important, always in the Bible. God never intended to do away with priesthood ever. 
That was part one of the second book of Samuel, chapters five through eight, on Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. To learn more about Seeking Truth Bible studies, visit seekingtruth.net. Tune in next time for more Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran.